Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe in the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind? That you are mindful of them, human beings, that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the seas, all that swims the path of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Good morning. Thank you, Cedric. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it, buddy. Well, first things first, <clears throat> if you are from Philadelphia, congratulations, man. Okay. All right. We got more Philly fans than what I thought. Well, be excited. There might be a reality check next Sunday, but, uh, you know, let's... I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you know, be excited. Could be a reality check. Anyway, congratulations on that. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, hadn't shown a lot of love to uh, the Washington Redskins over the past few years, so there seems to be some kind of, uh, you know, issue with the name. Uh, but um, welcome to Trust Issues. We're beginning a ser- eight-week series today on trust. Trust is a tough thing, isn't it? Um, you know, people let us down. Maybe you have a family member that lets you down or a friend that lets you down. I'll be there. I'll do that. Trust me. It'll be done. It's not done. It's a little bit hard to recover. It gets inside of our heart. You know, you know what I'm saying? It gets in our heart, and it's just there. And even if, you know, we're not processing, thinking about it, it's in there. And then we go to try to make another relationship work or that, with that same person work or whatever, anything. And it's difficult. So we're, this is what we're going we're gonna to focus on because trust, everybody, trust this is commonly known. Trust is the fuel for relationships. Hey, relationships aren't going to move without trust. Trust is what brings relationships. It's the magnet. It's the glue. You've got to have trust. And so we're going we're gonna to spend eight weeks talking about trust. And we're really going to focus on our relationship with God. We'll do that. But uh, I'm sure we'll dabble in some other uh, areas of horizontal relationships as well. But, um, you know, our relationship with God. Anyway, before I go any further, you know, uh, with this, I want to welcome those who are watching online. We relaunched our online platform today. It's an all-new interactive platform. And so welcome all of you that are watching online. Thank you for joining us. And I want to say something to uh, all of us here in the room in Arlington. As you know, we uh, are, are working with a parking issue, aren't we? Right? Our big parking lot right outside the door here at TJ has gone away, and it's going to come back. It's going to come back bigger and better and more beautiful. That's the good news. It's just not coming back tomorrow. So um, it, it'll, it'll be a little bit more time before it does. And so I want to thank you, uh, you know, for being uh, patient and for making the walk you know, we want to um, we want to bring both spiritual and physical health to you. <laughs> so I want to thank those who are on the did the parking pledge. That's a really big deal, actually. 
those who are doing the parking pledge. Uh, we have uh, close to 200 people who signed up for the parking pledge, not to park in the lots or on 2nd Street. And, and that's really great because, you know, what that allows for is for somebody who is brand new or relatively new uh, to, to Grace uh, to easily find a parking space. So that's a, that's, that's a really big deal. And so I want to take a moment and, and thank you for doing that uh, very much. And um, uh, God will just help us uh, to get through this and we'll be so much healthier when it's all done. Last thing I want to say is, is, I've said it before, but just not all of us maybe knows this, but our West Falls Church campus, which is at George Mason High School, 15 minutes from here, they have an ocean of parking there. This ocean. So if you've never been there, maybe just try it once. They're a great, wonderful, incredible group, community of people there, and it's actually a great, it's a great facility. All right. Well, there we go. All right. Um, trust. Trust. The, the scripture that Cedric just read from Psalm 8, there's a, there's a line in there. Actually, it's at the beginning, it's the end. So it really stands out to us. And the wording, the phrasing in the line is very interesting. Very interesting to me. This is what it said at the beginning and at the end. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I and mean, it just made me think, you know, why, why your name? Why couldn't, why couldn't the psalmist just write, Lord, you know, you're majestic? Why the emphasis? Why the qualifier on the name? Lord, your name is majestic. Why do that? What's up with the name is just what made me think of all this. Why couldn't you say something else? You know, what's in a name? That's the title of the message today. What's in a name? Some of you probably recognize that phrase, don't you? What's in a name? Shakespeare wrote it, and it came from what? I'll give you a line to prompt your, your memory. Deny thy father and refuse thy name. Romeo and Juliet. What kept them apart? Their name. Names are powerful. Names mean something. And in that particular case, what's in a name is it kept people apart, represents who a person is. Are you having a little difficulty connecting with God to the way you want to be connected with God, connecting with somebody else, a family or a friend? Are you having, well, could be a trust issue that is there. What is in a name? All right. Do you like your name? Say your name inside your head, not out loud. Do you like your name? Right? My name is John. It's associated with bathrooms. <laughs> That's something I'm crazy about. It is what it is. You know what the po most popular uh, baby's name was for 2017? For those of you who have just had babies or getting ready to have a baby or you're thinking about a baby, you're probably searching. I had somebody immediately know what it was. Most popular girl's baby name of 2017. Do you know? Do you know? Somebody knew in the first. I couldn't believe it. Olivia. Olivia. You ready for the most popular boy's name? Are you ready? Atticus. As in Atticus Finch. Yes. To Kill a Mockingbird, Harper Lee. Can you believe it? Atticus. So in a few years, you might see. I, I got this from, this from this site that tracks like how much attention is being played. Like it's real-time measuring. So this is, you're going to see some Atticuses running around here pretty soon. Right? What's in a name? I want to read you a piece, a, a famous portion from a very popular movie. If you recognize this, because it's all about name. If you, could you yell out the name of the movie to me? Could you, could you do that? Ready? Are you ready? Thank you. <laughs> My name 
is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Commanders of the, commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal surgeon, ser, servant, surgeon to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and will you help me? I will get my vengeance in this. Okay, we were close. Okay, excellent. What's in a name? The Bible says a good name is better than great riches. That's how important a name is. It's our reputation. It's who we are. Maybe some of you had a parent when you were a teenager, right before you ran out the house and right before you closed that door, slammed it shut, they yelled what? Don't forget your... Okay. Don't forget your name. Don't forget your name. Don't forget who you are. Don't embarrass the family. Don't embarrass the family because your name, your name means something. In the Bible, a person's name contains vital information about who they are. Jacob. You know what the name means, Jacob? Deceiver. Hi, I'm Jacob. Hi, I'm Deceiver. Would you like to enter into a million-dollar business deal with me? Ah, okay. Vital information. Thank you very much. It is from the Hebrew word Shem, S-H-E-M, and that means this, a distinctive mark. Your name, your reputation, your character is a distinctive mark about who you are in the Bible, in the Bible. Maybe your parents named you after another family member, or they just liked the way that that name rolled off of their tongue. But in the Bible, it has everything to do with your character. Why does God give us so many names for himself in the Scripture? Why would God do that? There's dozens of them, everybody. We're only going to cover a few. There's dozens. Why would God do that? Because God wants us to understand as much information, God according to God, God according to God, about himself so that we can accurately understand and present who he is to other people so that we don't get it wrong. So God just goes over, just gives us all these names so we can understand the very character of God. Because once we understand the character of God, we will trust God. And when we trust God, trust is the fuel to relationships. It'll take us where we want to go in our relationship with God. It won't happen any other way. It powers our relationships. So the name of this series, as I said before, is called Trust Issues. And you probably have seen the graphic on a screen in front of you, or you saw the posters when you came in, okay? Or you see the screen as you're watching online, right? And what is that graphic of? It's a graphic of a person walking across a very narrow, flimsy bridge, and there's fog everywhere, Okay? A person who is a millennial did not create that graphic. And here's why I bring that up to you. I asked a group of millennials, trust. What immediately, what do you see? What do you see? Do you know what they said? Millennials said? They said, what I see is an unlocked phone and somebody's peering in it and an unlocked phone because everything on my whole life is inside of this phone, right? And if somebody sees it, Somebody steals it. Somebody, I will be exposed to the entire world. Oh, I got some messages. <laughs> right? And unlock. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. God reveals important information to us through his names in the scriptures like this. There's a name for God that says God sees you. It's a famous story about Hagar. Hagar was all alone. She's out in the middle of the wilderness, and she was crying. And God said, Hagar, I just want you to know I see you. God reveals information to us through his names. He sees us. He cares for us. He'll never abandon us. 
Never abandon us. He'll fight for us. We're going to spend a week on he will fight. Well, isn't it good to have somebody who will fight for you? If you've ever been bullied, I've got to tell you, it's good when you have somebody who comes up and who will fight for you, particularly if that someone is really big, who will fight for you, which I will share with you when we get to that week, right? God will fight for us. He'll stand. He'll never let us down. He'll never lie to us. He'll always be honest with us. He will always be there for us. All of this is revealed through the names. Next week, in week number two, uh, the title of the message is called First Impressions because God uses the same name for himself as he first introduces himself to us in the opening pages of Genesis, Genesis 1-1 through chapter 2, verse number 3. It's the same name for God every time. First Impressions. You don't get a second chance at what? A first impression. So God is trying to get something across to us that's very, very important. In week number three, we'll talk about Moses. God revealed himself to Moses through his name, and he used a personal name because in Moses, I am a personal God. I am a personal God. I'm with you personally. I'm not out there. I'm here, and we'll talk about that. There is a name for every situation in the Scripture, for every situation that every single person is going through, there is a name that is associated that meets that situation and that problem perfectly. There is a name of God that fits every situation that you could possibly face in your entire life. There is a name of God because a name of God is a character of God. And God says, I want you to know that you can trust me no matter what the situation is. And that's why this is so very important. Now, Jesus says this in John 14, 14. Very interesting. This has caught my attention for years. Maybe it's caught your attention uh, if you've ever come across this verse before. John 14, 14 says this, you may, this is Jesus speaking, you may ask for anything, anything, anything in my name and I will do it. Now that's what I'm talking about, everybody. Can I get some of that a lot? Because I have a list in my head right now of things that I would like to ask for. But the issue is, is he qualifies it. And he, in my name, why'd you have to put that in there? What does that mean in my name? Why can't you just say, just ask for anything and I'll give it to you? No, no, ask for anything in my name. So what does that mean? Why the qualifier? Think about this. If you have ever heard of something called the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, God's top ten, do you realize that God's name makes the top three out of the top ten? Top three. That's how important God's name is. It's in the top three. It's in the top three. I want to read it to you. The third commandment is this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You know what I always thought that meant? I always thought it meant means to damn in some way, verbally, the name of God. I would never do it. And if I ever heard anybody do it around me, I was, whoa, lightning bolt's going to come down, right? I would never do it. And I'd be nervous if somebody did it around me, okay? And secondarily, that's probably true, but it's not primarily what the Scripture is saying. What it means to take God's name in vain is to misrepresent God. It means that you have done an identity theft on God, that you are in an unauthorized way representing God to other people. Well, God is this, this, and this, and God's like, no, I'm not. Well, I believe God's this. No, no, no. I don't even believe God exists. And God's like, well... You're taking my name in vain. Oh, you understand? It's anything that we might do that's outside of the names or the character of God that God reveals as God according to God. That's what take. You would not like it if somebody misrepresented you. None of us like it if somebody steals our identity. Somebody goes around, runs up a bunch of debt, or somebody goes around and spreads things. Oh, you know, so-and-so said this, so-and-so said that. 
That doesn't make any of us feel good. And God is saying the same thing. Don't misrepresent. None of us want to be misrepresented. None of us want in this room want to be misrepresented. And God is saying, don't mis- misrepresent me. Because if you do, if you do, it could be really bad. Most of the people that I talk to who have a really sour taste in their mouth about God or church or on and on and on it goes, it's because they're like, well, because this person, they believed in God and, you know, all this stuff. I'm like, well, yeah, God, God's not that way. Are, are you sure? Because they, no, 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 no. Well, I stopped going to church for 10, 15, 20, 30 years because that was God. And, um, no. And so God takes that very, very seriously. It's like you and I would take it very seriously if somebody stole our identity, right, and said some things about us. This is what it says in Leviticus. Do not bring shame on the name of your God. Never misrepresent the name of God. So there's one fill in the blank today in the back. It's the focus of this whole introduction to trust issues. The name of God represents the character of God. The name of God represents the character of God. Taking God's name in vain means to misrepresent God's character. Misrepresent his character. So, in this series, we will focus on God according to God. This is who God says He is in His own words as given to us through the names of God and the stories that are associated with those names. Now, Jesus Christ says something very important in John chapter 17 to His disciples. He says this. He says, it's a prayer. John 17 is the longest prayer that we have of Jesus in the entire Bible. It's an entire chapter dedicated to a prayer of Jesus Christ before He's crucified. He's with His disciples, and He says this. To the Father, I have made known to them your name. I've made known to them. So what is he saying? People say it this way. Theologians say it this way, everybody. If you want to see what God looks like walking around on the streets of our world, what you have to do is read about the life of Jesus Christ, how Jesus acts and reacts, how he gives and forgives, what he accepts, what he, what he rejects, his service, his compassion, his kindness. If you want to know the character of God and get a picture of what it would look like for God and his character to walk around and to live in homes and streets and to deal with what we deal with every day and what he would do, what kind of character is God, then you look to the life of Jesus Christ and you watch closely how he acts and reacts in all of those situations. He has made God's name. He has made, Jesus has made the character of God known to all of us through the pages of the gospels. This is who he is. This is who he is. Can you trust somebody like that? Can you trust somebody that when everybody, all of his friends abandon him and curse him and turn away from him, can you trust somebody who is still there loving and forgiving and praying? for them? Can you trust somebody like Jesus Christ? And does that trust fuel your relationship with God? So the next eight weeks, here's what I'm asking for you to bring to the table. There's a line in Psalm 8 that Cedric just read a few moments ago. Verse number two, here it is. It's very important. Through the praises of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. I want to talk about children, but first, first, I have to mention what in the world does this mean with the stronghold situation. So let's talk about the stronghold, and then let's go back and talk about why children, why the psalmist mentions children, because it's really important to us. It's really important to what we bring to the table, because this series, and God's name, as incredible as it might be, as incredible as it might be, is going to mean absolutely nothing to us unless we heed the advice of what the psalmist is saying here. So let's talk about strongholds first. What is a stronghold? It's a place of safety. So in their day, everybody, 
If an invading army comes into your town, your region, or whatever, you had, you hope you had, a stronghold. A lot of times it was a tower. It was a fortress. It was a place of strength, and you would beeline it to that. You'd run as fast as you can go because that's where safety is, because that's where you are the most protected. Proverbs says it like this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into it and are safe. Now, I know we just ended a series on Proverbs, but as you read that word righteous, sometimes we have a false understanding of what the word righteous means. We think, oh, yeah, the goody people. The people who are goody-goody. That's not what Proverbs means by righteous. Proverbs means by righteous somebody who is in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with other people. They're not mistreating other people. You've got to go vertical and horizontal. Vertical, that's what it means. They run to the character of God because in the character of God, there is safety. That's what the stronghold is. It's in the character of God. Trust, honesty, faithfulness, selflessness, sacrifice, all those things that we will learn about who God is and we see in Jesus Christ that there's safety there, okay? So there's what the stronghold is, character. It wouldn't, there, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't we be in a stronger position if we lived out and ran to the character of God? That's the question. All right, second thing, why the children? Why do we bring up children? They're, gonna, they're, they're praising God. His name is majestic. They're the ones that are praising and lifting up God. Well, what do what, what children bring to the table? What's the key thing about children here? They're curious. They have an unrelenting curiosity. Why, Mom? Why, Dad? Well, because X, Y, and Z. Yeah, but why? But why? Why? Their minds are lit with a curiosity that is unending. They ask question after question because their minds are sponges. They want to learn. And the question here at the beginning of this series is, is do you have any curiosity? Have you lost your curiosity? Do you still have enough curiosity about God? Is there anything left for you to learn about the God who created this massive universe? Is there anything there? Do you still have a curiosity? Because if you have a curiosity, oh, yes, I have a lot more to learn about the God who created the universe. Then you can learn more about his names and it'll fuel your relationship. It'll fuel your trust. And there's places that you can go in your relationship with God that you never would have imagined. There's trust that can be born. But if you're already coming and you're, you know, your bucket, your bowl is pretty full, you know, you've got a pretty well-informed opinion about God, whatever that opinion might be. If pretty well, well, okay. You might, 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 there might be that much room in my bowl left for you to fill up here throughout the names of God, then it's going to be a pretty boring series. But if there's still a lot to be learned, then it could mean a lot, all right? Jeremiah 10 says it like this, Lord, there is no one like you, for you are great, and your name is full of power. It's full of power. God's name is full of power. The character of God is full of power. Once we learn more about the character of God, it's continuous learning. Now, I want to take a brief time out here because we talk a lot about God in church, if you haven't noticed that. But over the next few weeks, we're going to really talk a lot about God and who God is according to God and the character of God. And what I realize is and what I think is absolutely awesome, and we invite, of course, we're a church for people who don't go to church, and we have a lot of people here in this room who don't believe in God, people who are atheists, people who are agnostic, and this is wonderful. Thank you. Bring all of your friends. I think it's fantastic. And so I, what I would like to do in the next few seconds is on an intellectual level... Talk about this God thing for a second, 
All right? So let's put it out on the table right now. I cannot prove to you that God exists, period. Can't be done. Emotionally, I could say to you, God exists. I could do that, but that's emotional. Intellectually, can't be proved. Takes a measure of faith. Takes a measure of faith. And that's what gets people right there. Like, yep, I'm a fact person. You guys are faith people. That's where we've got, we're on two different ends of the extreme, right? Because I'm about fact and you're about faith. And it takes, I can't prove to you that God is it. I feel like I could emotionally, but I can't. Intellectually, I can't do it. I can't prove it to you that God exists. Now, I'm out taking a leap of faith. If somebody, if I am, look, if I'm an atheist, if I'm an atheist, here's my problem intellectually. I can't prove to you that God doesn't exist. I can't prove it. Emotionally, I might say, oh, no, 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 no. There is no God. I could do that emotionally, but I can't do it intellectually because I can't prove that God doesn't exist. In the Bible, in the Bible, at least, faith in the Bible is, is, a, is a mixture of belief and reason. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of evidence, like the, the universe is a big piece of evidence for the existence of God. How did we get here? Where did it begin? In the beginning. In the beginning. Oh, there is a beginning. Do we know that to be scientifically true? Yes, we do. Does the Bible say it? Yes. So there is evidence. There is evidence. So if I'm an atheist, if I'm an atheist and I say to you, hey, I don't believe in God, that is a faith statement. It's not a fact statement, and it's not a fact statement because it can't be proven. Right? If I'm an agnostic, I say, yes, I believe in God, but there's no personal relationship with God. That's a faith statement because it can't be proven. Are you tracking with me? It's a faith statement because it can't be proven. I can believe it all day long, right? But I've made a leap of faith to believe it since it can't be proven. It's not a fact statement. It's a faith statement, okay? If I say that, you know what? Uh, I, don't, I believe in God, but there's no supernatural stuff. I don't believe in anything supernatural. So we're in Thomas Jefferson Middle School right now, right? Thomas Jefferson. Did you know that Thomas Jefferson, like, carved up and created his own Bible? Anybody know that? Thomas Jefferson? Car- okay, yeah. He took all the supernatural stuff out. It's, no, there's no. Forget it. No, that's supupernatural stuff. Virgin birth, forget it. That's not happening. No, no, that's, that's out. Okay, that's a faith statement. You can't prove that supernatural things don't happen intellectually. Emotionally, you can believe it, but intellectually, you can't prove it. So actually, it's a faith statement. So believing in God is a faith statement. Being an atheist is a faith statement. Being an agnostic is a faith statement, right? Saying there's no... all is a, You might say, you know what? I don't believe in a God who would impose, you know, his morals on me. I believe in a God just loves us and says, do whatever you want and be happy, you know? I don't believe in this judgment God. Forget the judgment God. Okay, you're banking your life on it. <laughs> you're hoping it's true. But that's a faith statement. Why did I go through that? I want to put us all we're, all, we're all on the same level here, everybody. Come on now. Intellectually, we're all on the same level. We are all taking a leap of faith. Every single one of us are taking a leap of faith in terms of God. Is there a God? Isn't God? What kind? And what opinion do you have about God? What opinion do you have about God? We are all making a leap of faith from a platform together. Okay? All right. Now that we've got that settled... Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's finish this up. So for eight weeks, I want to encourage you. Uh, I hope that your, your curiosity is fired up, that you would say, I want to learn more about the character of God. But if it's not, 
I want to ask you to allow your curiosity to be stirred, to, be, to have childlike, like Psalm 8 says, can you find, can you get in touch with your childlike curiosity once again and say, you know what? There are things that I want to learn about God. I don't have it all figured. I have not figured the Almighty out. I'm not even close. Everybody knows about the so- Socratic paradox. Everybody's familiar with that? Socratic paradox, right? And we know Socrates, he did not say it, you know, or write it. Got one person waving his hand there. You're not sure, okay? Okay. Uh, but Plato kind of uh, hinted that Socrates had said it. What does it say? I know that I know nothing. I know that I know nothing. It's a Socratic paradox. There's a writer, an American writer, died just a few years back, and he elaborated on, on this Socratic paradox. I want to read this to you. It's very good. Lloyd Alexander. Here it is. He's a children's writer, so it's very important. You must know nothing before you can learn something. Hmm. It's a good place to pause and think. You must know nothing before you can learn something and be empty before you can be filled. Is it not the emptiness of the bowl that makes it useful? Is it not the emptiness of the bowl that makes it useful? You know, when it comes to your understanding and your opinion about God, what's your bowl look like this morning? Is it, it, you envision it in your head. What's it like? Is it pretty much, I got it, John. It's pretty well formed. <laughs> there might be a smidge of room at the top of the bowl left. Are, are you willing to see the bowl like empty? Are you willing to come and allow your curiosity to be fired up? Say, you know what? There's a, lot of, there's a lot I still need to learn about the God who created the entire universe. Because if you come, as the psalmist says in Psalm 8, fired up that way with your curiosity on fire, well, then there's a lot that can be learned about the character of God through the names of God, and that will fuel our relationship with God. And the, and, and the Bible says, as I read just a minute ago, that that is powerful. God's name is powerful. God's character is powerful. If we will allow ourselves to learn more about it and immerse ourselves in that, the power of that can take our lives in a whole different direction than we ever could imagine before. You might be thinking to yourself, as many people, the stories we will discover as we go through these texts about God's name, oh man, they were just, their life was headed in a certain trajectory. And a lot of times it wasn't good, but they thought, there's nothing else for me. And they encountered God and the name of God and the character of God. And all of a sudden, the power of that encounter and that new learning experience that they had took their life in a whole other direction, whole other trajectory. It's incredible. All right. I would like to end by telling you uh, a story about myself. Uh, I love surfing. I love it a lot. I um, started surfing when I was like 10 or 11 years old. And um, it, was, it was tough in the beginning. And here's the reason why. My father took me when I was just a little guy. Um, I don't know, six, seven, eight years old, out to Annandale, Virginia. There was a movie theater out there. And we saw the movie Jaws. <laughs> My mom said, you took him to What? took me to Jaws. And I got to tell you, me, along with the entire planet, freaked out over that movie. Now, for those of you too young to have lived through the hysteria of Jaws, you do not know what I'm speaking of. People would not swim in a swimming pool. There's no joke. No joke. I'm not ready for this one. 
There are accounts of people who refuse to get in their bathtub and their hot tub because of Jaws. It's powerful. And I've got to admit to you, as a kid, and I jumped into a swimming pool, I would look around a couple times, right? Because there was this movie with James Bond, and he was in a swimming pool with a shark. And so it really, really freaked me out. There was a powerful, powerful movie. But I overcame all of that stuff, and I fell in love, absolutely love with surfing. And I surfed. I mean, I, everybody, I surfed a lot. My parents owned a business down in Florida, so every summer for three months... We were pretty, we were right there on the beach. <laughs> and, you know, it's good. I just surfed all the time, all the time, crack of dawn. You think about a teenager, like a 13, 14-year-old kid getting up at 5 o'clock every single morning, running to the beach, hoping today will be the day that the Atlantic Ocean will have a wave in it, okay? <laughs> running out there, and day after day, the, the pain of the defeat of that, right, of not, of not seeing those waves. And, you know, I was scared to death of sharks, but I overcame that. I actually saw sharks in the water, and I didn't leave the water. I just kept, I just kept surfing. Now, they weren't the size of jaws, but I, I saw them. I was out one day way, way far out, way, all by myself, and I saw a killer whale jump right out of the water. Now, that day I got out of the water. <laughs> I've surfed at night, at 10 o'clock at night, by myself. I was so consumed with surfing, I just could not. I hate cold water. I went out in freezing cold water, December, Christmas break, down in Florida, out there surfing, surf, surf. Just When I was 13 years old, my parents were at a conference in San Diego, and I wanted to go to Ocean Beach to go surfing. And so I figured out the bus system at the age of 13, and I got myself on a bus, multiple bus, connect, 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 hour and a half, two hours, crack of dawn, made it to Ocean Beach, found a place that would rent me a surfboard, and at the age of 13, went out into the waves, and they were big. Eight, nine, ten-foot waves, California waves, powerful waves, not like our waves here on the East Coast, okay? I almost died. I'm telling you, I almost died. The wave drove me so far down, I thought I was 100 feet underneath the water, came up, barely alive, paddled right back out, and went at it again. What I'm trying to tell you is my life is served. I say this to people all the time. If I had ever ever before I graduated high school, gone to Hawaii, before I graduated, you would not see me on this stage right now. <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind at all about that. But you know what happened? Something changed my life. Something completely changed my life. You know what it was? I learned a new name. I learned a new name. And the power of that name changed the trajectory of my life, changed, my pro changed everything. You know what that name was? Krista. Krista. And the power of that name changed my life. I didn't think about surfing as much, right? I thought about her and her priorities and who she was and her character. It changed me. You know what, everybody? Is there something that you could still learn about God in the next eight weeks? You're on a path. Is it possible that God could totally change the trajectory of your life through the power of his glorious, majestic name. Are you willing to allow yourself to be curious and to learn to open your heart and say, God, there's more for me to learn. There's more for me to know. I just want to encourage you over the next eight weeks to do that, to allow yourself to learn again about God. 
I want to close uh, this morning. I, before I do that, I want to release those who are watching online. Pastor Neil is going to pray this prayer that we're about ready to pray in this room. He's going to pray with you, so I'm going to release you uh, to do that to Pastor Neil. On the screen behind me, on your bulletin, is the Lord's Prayer. And in a moment, I'd like us to stand together and pray that most famous prayer together. But I do want to explain one thing to you before we pray. Because in the first line of that prayer, how does it go, right? Our Father who art in heaven, what's the next part? Hallowed be thy name. Holy. It's the word holy. And the word holy, this is really important. The word holy means set apart. Means it's transcendent. It means it's beyond us. It's not us. It's beyond. Why is that important, everybody? God is separate from my personal agenda and my personal bias and my personal spin. Don't you get tired of spin? We live in D.C. Do you get tired of that? God is separate. People, right, God knew this, and God knew that people, because we're self, I'm self-centered by nature, God knew that John couldn't handle creating a God in his own image and in his own likeness. God said, I am holy. I'm set apart from you, John. I'm not going to allow your agenda and your bias and your culture and your opinion to get mixed in with my name and who I am. And you know what? That's good news for the entire planet. Because God is above us. He's beyond us. He's separate from us. He is God, the one we can trust in, who is holy and true and righteous and unrelenting in his love for you, that you can trust in him. So with that in mind, would you do me a favor? Could we stand together and let's pray this most famous of prayers together as we leave? Please join me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. And everyone said, Amen.